You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And then, of course, I know you're Dallas fans, so you think Dallas is going to win. And I know that one of you told me, right, Dallas is going to win? Oh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Third and goal. Prescott throws, lofting end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. Dalton Schultz. It's a little give. Oh, it's his national tight end's day. Peyton Hendershot on the run. And he's going to jump in the Salvation Army kettle. So Jones on the fake pressure coming, and he's sacked by Parsons. His second of the game. Gobble, gobble, Cowboys Nation. We are back with the Writer's Block Podcast. I am part one host, Brandon Laurie. You can follow me at on Twitter at, at @brandonisright. The Cowboys win on Thanksgiving 28 to 20. A little bit closer at the end, but we all knew what was going to happen when the Jonas Brothers are bringing the energy for the halftime show, right? The last time the Jonas Brothers came to town in 2008, the Cowboys won, beat the Seahawks 34 to 9 and actually got the Cowboys their eighth win of the season. So, I guess in the spirit of the holidays, the Jonas Brothers tend to bring the eighth win for the Cowboys. I know who else was bringing the Jonas Brothers energy and that is a mid- is Jess Navarez, my co-host, a big uh, JB fan, not Justin Bieber, maybe, but mostly Jonas Brothers and Taylor Swift. Uh, Jess, I know you were probably rocking out at the halftime show, mostly because of the Jonas Brothers, not because of the first half performance of the Dallas Cowboys. Can I just say how proud I am of you for that intro? Like, I think RJ would even be really proud that you just somehow connected a Cowboys win to the Jonas Brothers. I'm, I'm proud of you for that. But this is an SOS because the Dallas Cowboys are back <laughs> And they mean business. I mean, yeah, that first half, arguably, we can we can go into that in a while. But I was uh, living my best life eating my pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, listening to the Jonas Brothers, and, of course, sealing it off with the Cowboys win. So the family wasn't quiet and awkward at the table when we went for our second round of food because, like we talked about, your family that eats before the game and then you go for the seconds after. But thanks so much for having us. And, Brandon, we have a special guest today that I'm just so excited about. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know because I feel like I'm in the presence of a celebrity, if I'm being really honest. Uh, we And his reaction for, for anybody who's listening to this, uh, he, he was very um, happy with what Jess just said. Uh, I, yes, no, definitely. One of the newest BTB writers for Blogging the Boys. We have Chris Halling here. Most of you guys will know him from actually DC Squad, which it's on his Instagram page. Um, over 76,000 followers. Uh, he has... Fire memes, great graphic design. Chris, what is going on? Uh, we'll, we'll get your take on the Thanksgiving game. But, you know, briefly, give a, give the listeners an intro um, to you and, and what you do with regards to um, the DC squad, how you started that, your Cowboys love, and then what you hope to accomplish as a sports journalist. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me, Jess. I appreciate that shout out. I definitely uh, don't feel like a celebrity on here. I feel like you both have already accomplished a lot more than I have. 
So I appreciate that. Um, so I am a 21 year old senior at uh, Charlotte university right now. I graduate in the spring. I started, uh, my uh, Instagram page, Dallas Cowboy squad in the 2016 season, because I remember annoying my friends at school because I live in Charlotte. None of my friends wanted to talk about the Cowboys. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make an Instagram page. I'm just going to like blog on there. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to talk what I want to talk about. And in like the first week it got up to like a thousand followers. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I have to like actually put some effort and take this a little bit more seriously. So then I just slowly got at it. I made some graphics. I made some, you know, like I kind of treated it like I was like, I guess like a reporter, but obviously I'm not a reporter cause I would just get the info from like Twitter or like other secondhand sources. And I would just try and engage with, with other followers who share the same passion and love for the Cowboys. And over time it's grown, it's grown all the way up to 76.9 thousand. So it's about to hit 77. And I'm just so thankful to be able to make the connections I've made on that site, being able to talk to like RJ Ochoa, which brought me to this, to this in the first place, being able to join blogging the boys. I can't wait to, I really wanted to join blogging the boys because of all the connections it brings all the unity. It, it kind of feels like a big family of Cowboys fans. And I'm super excited to be a part of that. I would definitely love to, in terms of my career for sports journalism, um, I, I feel like definitely the end goal is to cover the Dallas Cowboys. I've done some small things along the line. You know, I interned last summer at ESPN radio in Charlotte, got to do a lot of cool things with that and got to cover more local sports. However, when I graduate, I would probably ideally like to find something in Dallas, move down in that area and, and, you know, be closer to, to the area so that I can get more involved with Cowboys related stuff. I still, as big of a super fan, I, as big of a super fan as I am, I've yet to be, go to a game in Dallas. I still haven't done that. I've been to many games in Carolina. You know, I've been able to visit different games in, in different states, but I haven't made the trip out to Dallas yet, and that would definitely be a big thing to cross off my bucket list. I can't wait for the first, first game I do that, and hopefully I can go do it you know, as a profession and cover the team. So I would love that opportunity. So what I'm hearing, first and foremost, is – Folks, if you don't know Chris's name, now you do because he is definitely going to do very big things within his career. But uh, Chris, you have not been to a Cowboys game at AT&T Stadium and you have not tried a Cowboys Rita, first and foremost. Let's start there. Oh, man. All right. We need to get you to a game because it is it is a whole experience. And Brandon, Brandon and Lucy need to come to this game. We're just going to have a whole writer's block little like – I don't know, reunion at a game at some point. That's well, and, cool. I, and I have to say, I also have not been to a Cowboys game, you know, That's at the insane. stadium. Yeah, so we need to have everybody down there all at once, right? Let's go. Big party. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm, I'm very for it. Big party. Well, Chris, thank you so much. And um, I absolutely love your story. I think it's just the perfect story of somebody that knows what they want and they're going for it. And here you are. You're here talking to us. I don't know how exciting that is for you, but... I, I promise we're a fun time. Just it's very exciting. I appreciate it. No, excuse our puns. Like we are so corny <laughs> here on this podcast, but it's all good. Brandon, I have been waiting. I have been waiting to talk about this because Thanksgiving, we had this whole discussion about uh, the meals and the food and, you know, everything in between. What we didn't anticipate to happen was the Cowboys first half of the game. 
I want to transition a little bit into the game because we're going to talk about that briefly. And then Brandon actually is the genius that he is. And he introduced a new game for us to play this week uh, in the spirit of all things holidays. So Brandon, I wanted to get your thoughts and then Chris, you can go next. I, I want to get y'all's thoughts on the first half of the game versus the second half. What do you think was adjusted during halftime? Because that looked like two totally different teams from the first half to the second half. Yeah, I, I think in the spirit of Thanksgiving, the Cowboys were truly playing with their food. I know that's gone around a lot. I'm not the first one to say it, um, but I'll take all the credit for it. I, I think that when we were watching the Cowboys on their first opening drives, you know, the first half, really, it was just so confusing on the opening drive. They were doing so well. And then you have these questionable, you know, long, deep pass calls. And then they try to go for it on fourth down and it's a turnover. And, you know, not only the, the two interceptions that Dak had, but you also have the turnover on down. So there really was three turnovers in the game. And I'm just sitting there. I'm watching this. I'm like, man, this is not the Cowboys team that we saw a week before, you know, take on the Vikings win 40 to three. And I understand that 40 to three is not going to happen every week in the NFL. Teams are much better than that. I think if the Cowboys played the Vikings again in Minnesota in the playoffs, I don't think that's going to happen again with the same result because it's just it's tough to be that elite each and every week. I mean, the Chiefs find a way to do it, but even they struggle a little bit. But I, I think that with regards to the Cowboys, it just wasn't as explosive as what we've seen. And the defense was stopping uh, the Giants as much as possible and kind of keeping them in the game. But it just seemed like that the offense wasn't clicking. Dak was missing throws on the interception. Clearly, he thought that there was a offsides penalty and he's just kind of floating it out of bounds. But you can't really have that type of mistake. You know, you have to think, well, if, if it, we're going to get the penalty, I'll just throw it out of bounds completely, not just this hesitant throw, you know, half-hearted throw. So... I think that, again, like I mentioned at the top, the Jonas Brothers gave the extended halftime break, which you do get uh, on Thanksgiving for the Cowboys, but also at the Super Bowl. And maybe it created a little bit more time for the team to relax, to adjust. Um, if it was just a regular game, I don't know if we see that. But definitely they were a different team in the second half. And they were better for it because they ended up winning the game. So I think it was a tale of two halves, playing with their food, definitely. But they, at the end, were able to make it all the way through the dessert. Chris, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, so I'm also going to, I guess, kind of stick with a similar Thanksgiving pun. I think that they had too much on their plate originally. You well know, done. Like, you know, oh, well done. Through, well you done. Know, I think they went through, you know, the line of food and they just put way too much on it and, and thought it was going to be easier than it was, and it wasn't. They they looked like, for instance, the aggressiveness on the first offensive possession to go for it on the fourth and short and just give the Giants great territory. I mean, if you take away the fact that we're playing the Giants, that's probably going to hurt us a lot more than it ended up doing. You know, the Giants shot themselves in the foot, had to settle for three. And I just, I hated the call. I didn't like it. I thought it was too aggressive. I know me and RJ disagree with that. <laughs> we, you know, like there's a lot of people who did like the call, but I personally didn't. I felt like the play calling was really weird in the first half. I felt like Kellen Moore was trying to get too cute. Wasn't sticking to the run game. That was showing promise and dominance with Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. I mean, he was the only person on the offensive side of the ball who looked dominant throughout the first half. I mean, he was, he was breaking big runs. He was running strong. And I think in the second half, I think that that like the team really got back to their game plan of running the ball consistently, getting easy throws for Dak. C.D. Lamb made a great impact in the second half. I swear he still caught that touchdown in the back of the end zone. I think that was a robbery. And overall, the team just played Cowboys football in the second half. Micah with his two sacks. I mean, I mean, like it was a tale of two halves. And I'm so happy that I'm one of the people who eats my food before the game and not after the game because. 
if I would have had to eat it or like even during the game, I would have not had a great time. You know, I know that, that there was a poll on Twitter about that. And I was definitely a before game eater because I can't, I can't eat during that stressful time. I thought that the Cowboys were, 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 were not giving us a great Thanksgiving at, at one point during that game. Hey, you know what? I am with you. I am team eat uh, before the game, but during halftime, I always have me a good slice of pumpkin pie with a lot of whipped cream because, you know, Brandon, I, look, I know y'all can't see him, yeah. but he is just <laughs> at it again. With we, pumpkin yeah, pie listen, thing. we don't have to get into the We're love for pumpkin again. pie, the hate. You, you can go tune into the round table from last week and get all of that if, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> look, if you're a pumpkin pie hater... It just, it is what it is, but you're wrong. Anyways, my point is, um, you know, I think this wasn't the Cowboys' best game. Obviously, a win is a win, and a divisional win at that, which is going to be very important in the long scheme of things. We are creeping up to December football, which is absolutely crazy. Six weeks left of the regular season. I can't believe that. I cannot believe how fast that went by. But um, the point is, every win matters at this point especially those divisional wins because, well, unfortunately, the Eagles have uh, still claimed somehow, some way, the top of the NFC East. And so any help the Cowboys can get at this point to continue to climb up that ladder is just, it's a good thing, right? But I think the first half, what was interesting was the play calling was going back to what we've seen it become when the Cowboys just have those miscommunications and they look confused and they look somehow overwhelmed with what they're being served um, by Kellen Moore. But I also think what was interesting too was listening to Dalton Schultz in his post-game interview. He mentioned how, oh yeah, we kind of did the same thing in the first half that we did the second half. We just executed it better in the second half. So to me, what that sounds like is a lot of what we see when it comes to the Cowboys is self-inflicted wounds that end up beating themselves. For example, here we go, the penalties. Oh, she said it. <laughs> hey, everybody's saying it. Yeah. it and, and here's the thing. Obviously, this game crazy amount of penalties you had 13 penalties in this game which is one less than the year before in thanksgiving so do what you want with that information however what worries me is yes you're playing the giants so that tells you the giants aren't the worst team but they're a team you can get away with winning with that amount of penalties now where that concerns me is later on down the road when you're playing an eagles team when you're playing playoff time and 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 you hopefully (laughs) when you're playing crunch time and you're playing better teams you can't win a game with 13 penalties. That is just absolutely, absolutely atrocious. And the pre-snap penalties, that is something that we have heard since training camp. Mike McCarthy has said over and over again um, that they're dissecting into. So what was relieving today was at his press conference, he talked about how um, they went back and they looked at the 36 pre-snap penalties that this team has caused um, throughout the duration of the season so far. And they played back. They watched for rhythms. They watched for patterns. And that is how he's coaching his team to fix those penalties. So don't think there's not work going into that to fix the problem, but it was still a problem. And not only that, but you still saw a lot of miscommunication, especially, you know, like you guys said, the, the two interceptions and, and all of that, I think, is just a miscommunication thing and, and obviously a timing thing. And uh, Dak's free play that he thought he had, not so much a free play uh, when you're making an interception there. So I think a lot of it was it wasn't their best game, but coming off of the Vikings game, uh, I'm not sure 
<laughs> that you can really top that, right? So I, I really think that the Cowboys still have room for improvement, but we did see a lot of glimmering shines of hope, especially with your tight end group, especially within your wide receivers who are on the up and up, and it just looks like everything's coming together slowly but surely uh, for this Cowboys team, which is exciting. I also feel that that three-game stretch is the epitome of what the the Dallas Cowboys are and has have always been. It feels like that they will always have that one heartbreaking loss against a rival that, you know, you think that they're going to beat. You have a hope that they're going to be. And then for some reason, it just falls apart in the end. You have the Vikings game where it's an absolute explosion and they look like the best team in the, in the NFL. And then you have the Giants game where it's like, well, are, what are you? Where do you fall on the spectrum? And they fall almost in the middle of that, still leaning towards the winning side. But it's like even... Out of these three games, I think originally I said to myself when I was doing the preseason schedule outlook, I said, well, during this stretch, they're going to win two of the three games. And I think that I originally put the Packers at a loss winning in Minnesota because they have a history of winning in Minnesota. Um, so I think that it the record turned out to be the same way of what I expected. I think that the actual way things were done wasn't expected for me. I like just mentioned the play calling when Kellen Moore went back to this double reverse in the game, I was like, oh no, like, is this going to be what it was like week one where we're going deep in the bag? Like, why can't we go back to being simple? I said in the very beginning, week one, the first podcast, I said, creatively conservative. That's what Kellen Moore is best at. Like, don't do too much, but like do enough with the tight ends and everything. And just mentioned that like coming out of the giants game, I think that's such a huge development. Mike McCarthy has always been known for using jumbo tight end sets and, and using a lot of tight ends in his offense. And we saw that not only, you know, we're all four getting involved, but three of them can get into the uh, Salvation Army kettle, you know, so it's like we can we can breathe at least some sort of sigh of relief to know that tight ends are getting involved in the offense to be creative, which allows players like Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb to get involved and get open a lot more because people have to worry about these tight ends. Dalton Schultz looked great coming back from his knee injury each and every week looks better and better. Mike McCarthy talked about how Dalton has looked better and looks healthier. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of put a bow on this and I'll, I'll go to Chris on this one and then I'll go to Jess. Out of this three-game stretch, if you could take one thing away from it as a positive, because we like to be positive on the podcast, what would that positive thing be? Chris, I'll start with you. My one positive, actually, I know I was a little bit um, critical of Mike McCarthy earlier in my little, you know, my little speech, but I think that that Giants game is a game that under Jason Garrett, I'm not sure if they win that game. I think that Mike McCarthy really pulls this team together through adversity, all those pre-snap penalties being down and even, you know, coming back from that Packers loss. I mean, I mean, to blow out the Vikings the way they did, I think in the Jason Garrett era, I, a game like that could have really hurt the team's morale and could have hurt where the team was playing. And I think that, I think that at the end of the day, we are still looking very solid and we're still right in the mix to, to, to be competitive in the playoffs. So I think that that was a huge stretch that you were able to be on the right end of. And now you play the AFC South, which is one of the worst divisions in football. So that should be some wins. And I think the schedule gets much easier. So I think that the Cowboys, yes, that loss to the Packers hurt. But overall, going uh, two and one through that three-game stretch, I think, is ultimately a win for the Cowboys. Yeah, and I mean, playing three games within 12 days and coming out, for the most part, pretty injury-free is is a success in itself there, too. So wanting to add to that, I think my positive is something that I – 
I just really am so proud of this player for. You're seeing the return of a full force Michael Gallup. And I think what you're seeing is pre-ACL injury Michael Gallup and an even better version of that. Because what you're seeing is you're finally seeing the cohesiveness between Dak Prescott, who's only played, what, four or five games this entire season, which people seem to forget. And you're seeing the cohesiveness with not only, you know, him and CeeDee, yes, but him and Michael Gallup. And Michael Gallup finally, I think, playing with the confidence that he was pre-injury. And I think Michael Gallup is just such a dynamic player that can make those plays when the ball is in the air. He's going to fight for that ball. And more importantly, he's going to fight for that yardage after the catch. And so I think something positive for me was, yeah, CD has looked incredible and he, you know, we can have a whole discussion about that and how uh, he's really stamping his name on that wide receiver one role. But I think for me, more importantly, seeing Michael Gallup's story, seeing how he's come about after this injury, seeing his fight and his determination to be an even better player than he was before the injury. That is so exciting for me to see. Yeah, and we mentioned a few names that would normally be in our top 10 list that Jess and I always uh, debate about each and every week and sometimes with guests. But because the game is a little bit in the rearview mirror, uh, we're going to save the top 10 ranking for my article that comes out each week on Blogging the Boys. So you'll be able to check out my ranking there. If Jess wants to tweet hers out when the article drops, more than welcome to do that. I'm sure uh, I will be giving her a lot of grief for her picks. Uh, I might create a spam account specifically for that. So this way I don't get uh, the, the flack for that. But we're going to we're gonna pivot. She mentioned a game that I came up with, and I'm the loser that starts listening to Christmas music in, all the way back in June. Uh, and I want to get on the holiday train early. I know Jess uh, is not a fan, just like I'm not a fan of pumpkin pie. She's not a fan of Christmas music before the holiday starts. So that's totally fine. See, we, we equalize each other. Uh, but we're going to do something in the honor of a movie I just watched, and this sort of created my my brain idea, the movie Spirited that came out on Apple TV Plus with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, uh, and it's a, a rendition of The Christmas Carol. So we're going to do our Christmas Cowboys Corral, you know, because the Cowboys, you know, a little corral action, little pun. Again, the yeah. puns here is... Love uh, that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're going to be going through our versions of The Ghost of Christmas Past, present and future now this could be a player it could be a storyline it could be a specific game and it doesn't have to be negative we know the story of the christmas carol we know sometimes it's a little on the negative side but if we want to be positive about it totally fine and we we have uh some names some some things lined up so we always like to start with the guest and i might be throwing them on the spot here and we'll start in the past right that's where everybody wants to start so chris who or what is your ghost of christmas past for the 2022 dallas cowboys so i decided to stay on the positive end of the things you know i feel feel good it's the christmas spirit it's the holidays i don't want to get negative my ghost of christmas past is actually cooper rush because i i understand that that he didn't perform in the way that Dak Prescott does. You know, this offense is explosive. However, think about how we all as Cowboys fans felt the night that Dak Prescott got hurt. We got we got just dominated on Sunday Night Football. I mean, I went to bed thinking the season was, was about over. I was like, man, I wasted all that offseason, just so excited, and then bang, it's, it's gone. Especially since when you look at the schedule, you had the Bengals the next week, which seemed like a really hard game, and then you had – back-to-back divisional matchups in the Giants and the Commanders. And then you had the Los Angeles Rams who had just won the Super Bowl. So I was like, man, there's no way the Cowboys are going to come out of here with a winning record over that span without Dak Prescott. And Cooper Rush 
not only had a winning record, he he went four and zero in that four game span. And I think it's so important to to give him his flowers for that because if you really think about how good this division is, every team is in the playoffs right now in this division. If the playoffs were to start today, so imagine if Cooper Rush hadn't won against the Giants, hadn't won against the Commanders, we would be about at the bottom of the division. And then and then it didn't matter how good that Prescott plays and this defense plays. We you know you know it may be out of reach already. So I think that. While Cooper Rush, obviously, I, I was never in the corner saying Cooper Rush should be the starter the rest of the season. I know there were some Cowboys fans who were in that corner, and I never, I never believed that. I think that was a crazy take. I think it's it's very obvious that that Dak is the better quarterback. However, I think Cooper Rush deserves so many flowers, and Mike McCarthy deserves flowers for keeping the team afloat and having them in a competing situation when Dak Prescott came back healthy. Yeah, I, I have to agree. You stole the first one on my list, uh, so thank you for that. No, I, I completely ag- agree with everything, everything you said, Chris. I think that you mentioned the one thing that goes unnoticed is the fact that they won the two divisional games and that that matters so much now looking at the division and where all the teams stack up. You lose those two games, you might be on the outside looking in and feeling like either the Atlanta Falcons or the Tampa Bay Bucks. You might even feel like the Detroit Lions where you're almost looking for morale wins at that point. So I completely agree with you. Uh, before I get to mine, I will throw it over to my co-host, Jess. Are you going to be on the positive side, negative side? Where are you going to end up? Okay, so mine is optimistically positive. But it starts off, y'all are going to... I, I realize this when I'm reading it right now, that it's going to sound negative, but I promise it's not because it ties in to my past, present, and my future. So my past is... Um, kind of the, and again, guys, this is going to sound negative. I promise it's not. So y'all just listen. Okay. Hear me (laughs) out. My past is the hype around Cavante Turpin being new, shiny toy. Um, every week he's going to take it home. He's going to take it home. That's in the past because we saw him do it, uh, in preseason, which started that entire conversation. Right. So that's kind of in the past. Now teams have had time to adjust to uh, Cavante Turpin being the dynamic threat he is with his speed and, and um, you know, his, his use of, of um, his legs to be able to create that speed. But that is in the past now. And I will tell you why in the present and in the future, it's a positive thing. So there's a little teaser there for you to continue listening to the rest of this episode. Don't turn it off. I promise I'm not hating on Cavante Turpin. Y'all know that's my guy. I'm on Turpin time really forever. Yeah. it's Hey, listen, it's better than say, uh, daylight savings time. So I completely agree with you uh, oh, yeah. on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, my ghost of Christmas past is the scenario of Mike McCarthy when he had to sit down with Zeke Elliott after the Detroit Lions game. He's a little banged up. And he has to sit down with Zeke and say, hey, listen, buddy, we went through this last year. You know, you were a little banged up after the Panthers game, and you are the epitome of toughness, grinding it out, going through the rest of the season with with a bad knee, and we're going to do things differently this year. We're going to sit you down uh, for week eight, and then we have the bye week, and then depending on how you feel, we'll see if you come back for the Packers game. I think that conversation alone is the reason why you saw Elliott so dynamic, like Chris talked about in the Thanksgiving game. The guy rushed for uh, 92 yards on 16 carries, had a touchdown against the Giants, and he was averaging 5.8 yards a carry. He was the reason why they were looking so well in the first half and then capped it off in the second. So I think that that conversation is something that goes underlooked. I think that 
uh, or I guess overlooked, uh, whichever way, however you want to look at it. But I do think that it's an important conversation that had to be had because we know how tough Ezekiel Elliott is. He's been with the team for many years, and we know how dedicated of a, uh, of a player he is to the team, to the culture. Jerry Jones says that he's the identity. So does Zach Martin. So, and, and this debate, like we keep talking about, and Jess and I are on the bandwagon of why not have both? You know, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott are both dynamic runners. You need both of them. So having Elliott healthy for the rest of the season it, it, it was necessary for this offense to be productive. So that conversation had to be had. And I think moving forward, it's something we'll look back on and say that was a positive. So Chris, going to your present, where the Cowboys sit right now, maybe within the past few games, you know, what's the feel? What's the vibe? What are you seeing with your ghost? Yeah. So my ghost of Christmas present is still positive. This whole Carol for me is a positive Carol. I don't want any bad vibes and it's, and my ghost of Christmas present is the current Cowboys offense. It looks tremendous. Dak Prescott since his return for five games is averaging 34.4 points per game, which is the most, the most in the entire NFL. I think Tony Pollard is playing like a top five running back in the NFL right now. I mean, if you look at week seven, he had 14 touches, 109 yards. Week eight, 15 touches, 147 for three touchdowns. Week 10 versus the Packers, 25 touches, 128 yards a touchdown. And then week 11 versus the Vikings, his explosion game, he had 21 touches for 189 yards and two touchdowns. He looks incredible, and it just adds so much dynamic to the team when you have him and Ezekiel Elliott just just feeding off of one each other. And I think that CeeDee Lamb has finally found his footing as a wide receiver one in the NFL. It took Dak Prescott coming back and really getting in that rhythm. But he's currently second in the NFC in receiving yards with 857 behind Justin Jefferson. I mean, like, that's crazy to me. I feel like that's really under the radar. I haven't felt CeeDee has had that dominant season until the past few games, but he's really been – consistent and in the five games since Dak's return he's had 11 catches of 20 plus yards which is was showing the big playability that Dak brings to the current offense so while Cooper Rush gets his flowers for having for for doing what's necessary to win in the past Dak is getting his flowers for doing what's necessary to put us over the top in the present and really be that elite NFL football team Jess what do you think about uh Chris's ghost of the Cowboys offense and how it's performed so far Oh, I think it's absolutely spot on. I think the Cowboys offense really has found their rhythm the last three games that they've played. And I think it honestly, it took the loss to the Packers to really exploit them and, and maybe do some soul searching and and realize, hey, guys, we, we need to pull it together and we need to actually execute because again a lot of it is self-inflicted those miscommunications we're not really seeing so much uh anymore but that o-line too you got to give credit to the o-line and who would have thought that after tyron went down in uh you know the preseason with the season ending injury um that we would be even not talking about the O-line because the O-line has held up very strong. And, and I think, um, no, I think that's great. I think the Cowboys offense, this is their starting point, And that is a good thing because when Dak returned, I remember Brandon, we talked about this on here. That was a good thing because really up until this point, we see what other teams are going to bring come December football. The Cowboys, they're still on the up and up. So that's, that's the good and exciting news out of it. So Chris, I love the positive attitude. Love that for you. We'd love some positivity uh, and some joyful vibes here on this uh, holiday edition of the Writer's Block. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, of course. No. So I, I think my ghost of Christmas present 
I kind of alluded to this too, because I'm tying all of mine together. My past, my present, my future, they all tie together. They make a beautiful little Christmas bow. Okay, so my present is that uh, teams have learned, and obviously that's with more film that they have on Cavante Turpin. They have learned kind of how to minimize when he is getting those kick returns. And so my uh, Ghost of Christmas present is that we heard from Bones Fossil today at the press conference. So today we record this on Monday nights and he was asked about this. Actually, my incredible co-host, Asia Morrison asked him about this. What do you do when teams are maybe not making Cavante as explosive as, as we know he is? And, and you know, how, how do you coach that? How do you help that? And he said, well, you just get more creative. So to me, it's making the team, the goat, my my ghost of Christmas present is it's making special teams get a little bit more creative and in the mindset that I think the defense has already figured out the mindset that the offense is currently in the midst of figuring out, but doing a good job is how to confuse the opponent, how to play those mind games to make sure Cavante has that open field uh, a little bit more. So I think it gives special teams a unique challenge to make sure that he is getting that yardage and that he can uh, go back to making those very chunky runs when he does get the ball. So ghost of teams, a ghost of Christmas present is special teams and how they can get creative with Cavante Turpin to make sure that it's Turpin time again. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think that if you can combine the two, both of your, your ghosts and put Cavante Turpin in the offense a little bit more, I think that would make it a lot more dynamic. Chris, what do you, what have you seen from Cavante in his first season? And um, like Jess mentioned, like to get him more involved in special teams, to have him break a run all the way back for a touchdown. I think that's what we're all hoping and looking for. And we hope, honestly, me personally, I'm holding out for the Eagles game. I think that would be uh, a great you know moment for all Cowboys fans. But for you, how would you assess him as a returner in his first season? and then also to like his future with the team as well. Yeah, I've never seen a player get so close to scoring a touchdown so many times and not break it all the way. I think at this point, he he has to get one. He, he has to find himself in the end zone at some point, whether it is special teams. I... I mean, I mean, we talk about Kellen Moore getting creative. Let's let's give him a jet sweep or do something near the goal line. Like I'm okay with that. I'm okay with trusting him in open space to get a touchdown if he, you know, like if he's putting the offensive side of the ball. However, I love his return ability and I think he provides a great returner for the considerable near future for the Dallas Cowboys. I think that they should keep him around and I think that I think that teams are worried about kicking him the football, you know, (laughs) you know, and I think that's a great, that's a great threat to have on your team. And I think that that really just, just adds to the skill positions and the great players we have on this current roster. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's such a dynamic player. And I think that the more experience he gets at the NFL level, the better. Justin, I talked about it last week that the guy has been playing since the spring, you know, so it's like he's he's been playing almost two seasons of football. So I give him a tremendous amount of credit. And like you mentioned, the play design, the same play that Hendershot scored on Thanksgiving, just do the same thing with Cavante. I think that would be awesome. Now, whether or not he's able to serpentine through the guys and, and hopefully, you know, stay upright, I think he can do it. It, it. They did it with Lucky Whitehead years ago. Just do the same same for uh, for Cavante Turpin. For me, the ghost of Christmas present that I have is, is another one of Jess's guys that we've talked about numerous times in our top 10 rankings. I said that right now, Leighton Vanderish is the reason 
why the run defense has improved over the past two weeks. If you look post Green Bay Packers game, Micah Parsons said in the locker room that that they need to sit down and really as a unit come together and examine what they were doing wrong. J. Ron Kirst talked about it as well, how people needed to be held accountable and, and just not just singling out players, but the whole defense as a unit where they can improve. And I think when you're right in the middle of the defense, I think that's where it starts. And Layton has had a great season. He after you know, being basically not the same player he was as a rookie, you know, two seasons in a row, he comes back to the Cowboys and, and looks a lot better than what he did. And it shows too, he's leading the team right now with 75 tackles, taking over that role from Donovan Wilson. And not only that, but he only just has four missed tackles on the season, which is only 5.3% of his total tackles, according to PFF, which is the lowest of his career. So clearly something is clicking for this guy. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you hold Dalvin Cook to minimal yardage. You hold Saquon Barkley to minimal yardage. And these are guys that are getting a lot of carries. I said on our last week's podcast, I think Saquon getting as many carries as he's had in the past is going to slow him down in the long run. But that doesn't mean that you're not able to stop and show that you can stop a dynamic runner. And I think that he is the sole reason why that that's improving. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I'll turn to Jess. What are you? What are your thoughts on Layton? I, I know we we touched briefly on the game, but um, we didn't talk about him and this also run defense and how it's improved since Minnesota. Yeah, I absolutely think you hit the nail right on the head. Layton, I like has to think so. Absolutely <laughs> stepped up this season, and hey, he's on a contract year. Keep in mind, he was only signed to a one year deal with the Cowboys this season, so I think he's absolutely proving his worth. And not only that, but I think something about Layton in uh, that you're going to see a ripple effect with is. Obviously, he is dominating on the field. His tackling has improved so much. He's not tackling forward. He's tackling, and he is getting whoever he's tackling down. And he just looks like such a vintage version of himself. It is so exciting to see. But something else, too, that I wanted to make sure to mention about Layton is he has really been helping to mentor uh, Damone Clark because they really had the same kind of injury, same kind of surgery. And um, uh, Dan Quinn, I believe, today was talking about how he has taken this mentorship role for Debone. So not only is Layton, you know, doing the most for himself on the field, but he's also helping to mentor a very young player who is also on the up and up so quickly. And I don't think uh, Layton gets enough credit. I think he's somebody that everybody got so used to tying him into the Jalen Smith era, who, by the way, oh man, that was weird seeing him in a Giants uniform. Hated that. But uh, we, we won't even get into that. But um, I think he people were so used to tying him into that era and, and kind of that scheme that wasn't really working for him. He is so incredibly bought into this Dan Quinn scheme. I remember during training camp, there was a, a press conference or maybe an interview that he did at some point that he talked about the day he met Dan Quinn, he was absolutely sold on him. And since that point, I don't think we've seen a better version of Leighton Vander Esch. So all the flowers to LVE. I think that's a great one. 
And he's also not the type of linebacker to throw the people's elbow from the top rope like a certain linebacker did. Uh, like you said, Jess. Not naming any names. Yeah, we're not going to get into it. Uh, Chris, for, for you, with your opinion on LVE, I know a lot of fans, I, I wanted him back, but I think it was at the right price. I didn't think that he was deserving of the fifth-year option, just based out of performance and, and injuries. And you can't help that, but I did want them to bring him back at least on a one-year deal, and they did that. I think he's outperformed it so far. Do you think that this is somebody that the team should bring back in the future, maybe on a two, three-year deal like they normally do? Or do you think that at the end of the season, they kind of just walk away and then put Damone Clark uh, in his spot? Yes. So he has been exceptional this season. You know, when we were doing our research, I know that at one point we were going to do that top 10 Cowboys players. And I had him in that list for the past performance against Thanksgiving. You know, he, he's been great this season. I, I was also kind of a little scared of giving him a long-term contract just because of his injury history. And we saw what happened when we gave the long-term contract to, to uh, Jalen Smith, he who shall not be named with the people's elbow. And, um, yeah, and so I don't know. I thought that Jabril Cox would have a bigger impact this season than he has. And I felt like if he was going to make a big impact, then maybe Leighton would have been more expendable. However, I think that with Leighton being healthy, his his ability to lead and mentor Damone Clark. I think that this is a guy who you should keep around the Cowboys organization for the next two or three years. If you can, I wouldn't break the bank on him by any means, but if you can, if, but if you can bring him back for the right price, I think he's very valuable for the Cowboys Super Bowl chances. And I think he's, you know, I think it's super valuable to have a guy who's, who's comfortable with the system, you know, like at your middle linebacker position and who's able to rally the people around him. And they normally bring in a veteran linebacker anyway. So it's like, why not bring in a veteran linebacker that already knows the system, regardless if Dan Quinn is still there or not, but he's, he knows the team. He knows who he's going to be working next to like a Damone Clark or Jabril Cox. So why not bring him back? I I completely agree. Uh, Now onto the Christmas future. I know in the Christmas Carol, it's a little grim. Chris already mentioned that he's going to go on the positive note. Maybe some of us might go a little grim. We'll leave that off for later. Chris, uh, we'll wrap it around back to you. What do you got for Christmas future? So, yeah, I was going to say in Charles Dickens, a Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas future closely resembles the grim reaper. And you even see that in all these different, you know, like re remakes of the movie, you know, in spirited, you saw it. So, I am going to go with the grim reaper of opposing quarterbacks, and that's Micah Parsons. I think that Micah Parsons has had 12 sacks through 11 games this season and has nine games in his first two seasons where he has accumulated multiple sacks. That ties former Cowboy Alden Smith for the most in the first two seasons of a player's career. You're probably sitting there wondering, Chris, this is all you know, past and present. Where's your future aspect of this? Well, this is where I get extremely positive and extremely bold. This part's not that bold, but it will get there. Micah Parsons is going to win defensive player of the year this season. I think he has that locked up. I think he's fully deserving of it, but I don't think the award stops there. I think he's going to also go on and win the Super Bowl MVP because I think he is the second most valuable player in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. I, I think he is incredibly valuable his hustle, his his toughness, his edge rushing ability. I mean, you see people – I feel like the reason the Cowboys defense is as successful as they are is because everyone just feeds off of the energy that Micah brings to that team. You see him running all over the field. You saw it in the Lions game with the tackle on TJ Hawkinson. You saw it in the Bears game when he recovered that fumble from Justin Fields and ran it back for a touchdown. I mean, he never gives up on a play. I think it's just so – 
I, I think it just rubs off on the entire defense, and I wouldn't trade him for anyone in the NFL outside of Patrick Mahomes. And I think that he's going to be the key reason why the Cowboys win their first Super Bowl since the 1995 season. So call me bold, but but I'm feeling really good about my ghost of the Christmas future. Dang, mic drop. Oh my goodness, I, I, Brandon. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can outdo that. That was really good. Well, I mean, I, I could outdo it, but he, he again stole one right off my list. I put it on here. I said Micah Parsons will be the unanimous defensive player of the year. I didn't go as bold as Super Bowl MVP. I know. Uh, listen, everybody could circle back. I'm sure Chris will will blow it up on on Twitter uh, the minute he does win that award. Chris will be like, I was on that bandwagon first before anybody yeah. else. But I I was right there with him. I said I think Micah Parsons will be the unanimous defensive player of the year I know Jess you know you're going to want to talk about this too but I think that when you look at their next three games against the AFC South these are your stat padding games and I think that you can collect a lot more sacks against the teams that are struggling right now and maybe not Jacksonville I know they they won against the Ravens on Sunday but their offensive line isn't like impenetrable they are a porous offensive line just like the Texans just like the Colts are which are playing on Monday night right now Uh, and I think that you also look at the the I think the Eagles game will play a big part in his run for defensive player of the year. If he single-handedly wins, which I predict he will win that game for the Cowboys, I think that will solidify uh, his season right now. I think he's at uh, minus 1,200 um, in betting odds on DraftKings, which is about a 76.1% chance of winning. So right now, I think Joey, uh, Nick Bosa is second on the list. But again, he has 76% of the, the odds right now. I think that's just only going to grow from there. Well, I mean, all I can say is my ghost of Christmas future is very different from y'all's. So uh, I think I should win for the creativity and not saying the obvious answer. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I'm just saying, no, great answer because it's true. It is absolutely true. I think, you know, we've, we've echoed this and there's just so much you can say about Micah Parsons, but he is the reason, like you said, Chris, he's the reason this defense is playing like this defense is playing. He sets the standard, he sets the tone and he instills the fear uh, of opposing offenses that don't know what he's going to do. They don't know where he's going to be. And um, I, I think that's just the beauty of having Micah Parsons on that field. But it also begs the question of these next few games are, you know, their easiest stretch compared to the three three game stint that the Cowboys just had. He's a little banged up, and we're starting to think long term, future wise. Do you think we'll see? Uh, if it's up to Micah, no. But do you think we'll see a little less of Micah to preserve him, maybe for more December uh, postseason football? Any takes on that? All right, well, I'll go. I um I could totally see that from the coach's perspective, but Micah Parsons will be complaining till the end of the game if that is the case. So I think Micah's going to do everything he can to get on the football field. I think you even saw it too in that uh, Giants game when they got kind of like that garbage time touchdown. It looked like Micah wasn't – I didn't see much like talk about this on social media, but, I, you know, it looked like Micah was annoyed and upset on the sideline. And I think he was annoyed that he wasn't in the game to stop that, you know. And I think that Micah wants to be in every second he can. If he could play every play of every game, I think he would. That just that's that's just his character and his and like that's what you want in a football player. But it does make sense. It does seem like every game he, he kind of like gets up a little gingerly and he kind of walks off to the sideline and 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 the whole fan base is just holding their breath like, oh my gosh, is he okay? Is he okay? So I fully agree with you. It would not be worth losing Micah Parsons for the playoffs 
over trying to stat pad your season against the Indianapolis Colts, which he very well could do, but it just wouldn't be worth it. So I see it from the coach's perspective, but I, it, but I mean, it's going to take a lot to keep Micah off the football field if he has any say in it. I agree only because of the fact that then I can't turn back to this episode and say that Chris and I were both right um, and everybody else in the world was wrong. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that we have to be smart about the long term, but I think that if anybody can navigate those waters, it's Mike McCarthy. I already mentioned, uh, you know, in the past with Ezekiel Elliott this season, you know, you don't have to look very far to know that this is the type of coach that he is. He doesn't put players in harm's way. I know Jess and I were on our stump talk a few weeks back on the podcast talking about this, that that's a very underrated attribute of Mike McCarthy. He doesn't allow his players to go past their their injury point. And, and we're not the type of team where it's like, oh, you have a, a broken collarbone or whatever, you're going to just stay in the game. Not saying that any coach does that, but it's like it. he understands the temperature of this team. He understands that when a player is dealing with something that he can tell them, hey, listen, like, you know, we need to look at the long-term outlook for this team. And, and I think players have been transparent with their feelings or how they're doing with injuries this season to the point where, like Elliot, he was talking about how he said, listen, it's a long-term season. You know, we need to be healthy for the stretch. That wasn't the same player who was talking like that last season. Elliot was saying more of, oh, I want to be out there for my players. I want to be out there for my guys. I think players are, are getting that now um, when you look at Mike McCarthy's influence. So, yeah, I, I do think that he will be out there for the stretch. But if anything pops up, I have full confidence in Mike McCarthy to pull him um, as soon as possible. There you go. I just like to stir up a little controversy. But my real ghost of Christmas future is that the clock is going to reach Turpin time at some point. One way or another, we're going to see him run it all the way back for that touchdown. But furthermore, not only that, but I fully expect to see Cavante Turpin become the new Noah Brown, if you will. So as we know, Noah Brown starting off as a special teams guy. And then recently this season, well, before we saw some glimpses of what he could be within the offense and an offensive weapon. But this season, we have really seen a Noah Brown and not so much with the return of Michael Gallup. So don't get it twisted. We'll still see some more Noah Brown. But... I think Cavante Turpin could have a very similar route and a very similar story within the Cowboys locker room. I think what you're going to see is maybe getting his feet wet right now. You clearly are not going to see a lot of him integrated into that offensive scheme uh, when you're talking about one Michael Gallup on the come up, CD really stepping into that wide receiver one role. And then you even think even more ahead, James Washington, who has yet to come off of that IR spot and, could be any time now really is is uh, what it looks like but when it comes to Cavante Turpin I really think you're going to see him become more of an offensive weapon within the next few years not necessarily this season as much as we would love to see it as much as we would want to see it and as much as we're just holding on to that hope I think what they're setting him up for is a long-term future is okay yes you start off on special teams but then imagine the kind of offensive weapon he'll be in the next few seasons when he gets his feet on the ground a little bit more because something that I think is very overlooked uh, about Cavante Turpin is um, he was a former gymnast. And so that is something that I think is overlooked to why he's so bouncy, why he has that spring and why he has that takeoff. And once I heard that, I when I see him run, it all makes sense. 
it just all makes sense to me. So, um, yeah, my ghost of Christmas future is Cavante Turpin will be an offensive weapon at some point or another within the next few seasons for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I love that. And, I mean, he has that spring in his step, just like uh, Danny Phantom on Twitter compared him to a dolphin with the dolphin spin in the uh, oh in the Packers game. I know. It was uh, very good, very well done. I'm going to go the darker route. Somebody has to stay true to the source material with the doom and gloom of the Grim Reaper aspect. But I don't think, again, in, in the spirit of the Christmas Carol, you look towards your future. It's not set in stone. It's just something that, you know, if you look down the line, it, it scares you enough to adjust. And just kind of to bring it all the way back around, talked about the penalties from the Thanksgiving game. And when I look at the end of the Cowboys season, the Grim Reaper is presenting this idea of an early playoff exit for the second season in a row. And on the tombstone, it reads, here lies the 2022 Cowboys promise pummeled by penalties. And I think that that's something that could absolutely plague this team moving forward. We look at the 49ers game last season in the playoffs, 14 penalties came that game. The Las Vegas Raiders game on Thanksgiving was 14 penalties, like Jess alluded to in the beginning. And the 13 penalties, like you don't win uh, when you have 13 penalties against better teams. The Giants right now are struggling a little bit, so you can kind of get away with stuff like that. And I think it it comes down, and I did the math, so I'll talk about it in a little bit, but I think it comes down to the type of penalties. You know, in this game, there were a lot of pre-snap penalties, holds, stuff like that. You're not getting the defensive pass interference calls like you were getting last Thanksgiving with Anthony Brown, so it doesn't hurt as much in the long run, but it's like death by a thousand cuts. Like how many can you have of those five yard penalties that kill drives? And then either you're on offense or defense. There was the defensive holding call on Carlos Watkins that absolutely killed the drive when the Cowboys would have been off the field. Then you also have the penalty as well um, that negated the Donovan Wilson interception too. So it's like you have these penalties happening in crucial moments that allow points to be scored. I said, right or right now the Cowboys are averaging about 7.5 penalties per game which is 31st in the league so second highest they're sandwiched between these teams the Broncos the Raiders the Cardinals and the Giants all not very good teams in the NFL and you could see a trend there outside of the Giants and the Cowboys with having the winning record uh, the other teams aren't that good since Mike McCarthy took over the team in 2020 the Cowboys and it's actually not as bad as you think it would be when they commit seven or more penalties in a game right now they are 11 and 12 since 20 and tw since 2020 I thought it would be a lot worse than that usually seven penalties are pretty bad in a game and I think that it could make the difference but clearly for the Cowboys for some reason you're at 50 50 but in 2022 the Cowboys are three and three so again it just seems like this is the trend for the Cowboys this seems like that it's the theme for what it is during this Mike McCarthy era that you're never going to fix this penalty problem and I think moving forward if you move deep into the playoffs or get into playoff contention that certainly has to be cleaned up otherwise it's going to be like the 49ers game last season where it actually costs you a Super Bowl and moving on into the playoffs so Jess since you are the queen of penalties and or anti-penalties uh, I'll throw it to you first did those stats surprise you like it did for me where everybody's kind of like around even 50 50 or were you expecting a little bit more than that you know what, considering I talk about penalties every week, and I don't know how y'all still listen to me do that because that's annoying, but it's annoying to keep having to talk about it every single week. It, it is actually surprising, but it's 50-50. It, it's half surprising. It's half not. 
And it's not surprising because you have this defense that is bailing you out of a lot of this uh, mistakes, these self-inflicted wounds. If you didn't have this defense playing like it has been the entirety of this season, that number would not look like that. Guarantee it. If the defense wasn't there to essentially take back the mistakes that these pre-snap penalties are uh, giving opportunities to other teams, that number would be much, much different. But what worries me with penalties is, yes, it keeps happening. And it's just something that we're echoing week in and week out. And it's exhausting to talk about penalties. But what worries me is what happens if there's a game that the defense cannot bail you out of this? Say they have a bad game. Say they have a bad day, which they're entitled to because the Cowboys offense had a lot of them so far this season, right? And because of the defense, the game and and, and Brett Maher, of course, uh, the game was a, a victory. And what worries me long term here is what if there's a day the Cowboys defense cannot bail you out of this kind of penalty rut that you're put in, then what? Then you lose and you get an exit, uh, an early exit of the playoffs, and then what? I I mean, I'm sick of talking about penalties, everybody. I really am. But they have to clean these up. They have to. I will say, in terms of Thanksgiving, uh, you know, this, this past game on Thursday, I don't really agree with a lot of the penalties that were called. I mean, when you're calling a holding call on Zach Martin... That's sus. I'm just going to say it. It's sus. But, I mean, hey, either way, y'all know, y'all know you're being looked at for these penalties. Clean it up. Extra tight. Don't leave room for mistakes. Don't leave room for penalties. And then we can move on from this penalty discussion and the worry that it could cost you a playoff win or a deep run in the playoffs. I agree. And you look at the the stark contrast of – like I said, they're right now 3-3 three and three when they commit more than several, seven penalties on the season. The other five wins that they have, their point spread, they're outscoring opponents 156-69. to 69. So you can see that when they are under the seven mark, they are a completely different team. They're, they're wiping teams out. You know, I, I understand that the, the Vikings game, you know, adds a lot to that, but that's still a game that counts. They weren't really committing penalties in that game as many and if not it was later in the game with a lot of reserves stuff like that so Chris like do you think that this problem will ultimately cost the Cowboys the Super Bowl run or do you think that this is something that hopefully within the stretch of playing a a weakened AFC South team that they can kind of correct this problem a little bit more I mean hopefully that's not the case you know like hopefully that 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 uh, Grim Reaper isn't isn't coming but it very well could I have no reason to believe that it's impossible. I mean, I I completely agree that penalties have been an issue throughout Mike McCarthy's entire, you know, time here in Dallas. And and for whatever reason, it hasn't really changed. It hasn't really improved. And now I also think that we get targeted a little bit more than other teams because of our name, because of because of our brand, and maybe because Jerry Jones has angered Roger Goodell with some of his, you know, like, you know, like their meetings. But, you know, with that being said, you have to fix it. You have to be able to fix it because at the end of the day, you're you're completely right. You can't get away with these many penalties against a great team. The only reason the Cowboys were able to win on Thanksgiving was because they were playing Daniel Jones who couldn't hit a pass in the wide open flat. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, if you're going up against a 
you know, this Eagles team, or if you're going up against the 49ers who have an incredible roster, it's going to be really hard to win in, in, in the big time moments if you're just shooting yourself in the foot and your record kind of did surprise me, you know, the, the, the uh, Cowboys record with having all those penalties, but it just speaks to how talented this roster is. Like if, if our roster wasn't this talented, we wouldn't win as many games as we do despite these penalties. So don't get in your own way. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. You have the team to compete for a Super Bowl. Why are we still having pre-snap penalties? So that should be fixed fixed in training camp. I mean, like that's something that like you learn as a football player through middle school and, and high school, you know? Don't go false start. Don't, you know, like don't don't go off sides and get a neutral zone infraction, you know? So these are all things that should be corrected pretty early in the season. So if we were to lose game in the playoff based off of false starts or offsides, it'd be really frustrating as a fan of the organization. Especially the second year in a row when that was the reason why the Cowboys were behind the eight ball against the 49ers when they could have won that game. But like we said, this is just to scare the Cowboys. The Grim Reaper is not here to end the season for Dallas. It's all going to be positive because they're going to learn from this. Like Jess alluded to earlier to Mike, what Mike McCarthy said, they're cleaning this up. They understand that it's a problem. He did say though, that he does like the aggressiveness. And I have to agree with him on that part, that the whole reason why the Cowboys are winning these close games, I think like on Thanksgiving is because they are the tougher team mentally and physically. And sometimes that'll draw a little bit of flags. And depending on who you get as the referee crew, they might see things a little bit differently, but having the pre-snap penalties at home lining offsides as a wide receiver those are the ones that are inexcusable and I think those are easy fixes and the minute you do that you get under the seven mark and listen to what happens you end up winning games so I think it's just that simple before we wrap up here we talked about the AFC South run that's going to happen and I know um, you know they're going to be playing the Colts on I think Sunday Night Football uh, this weekend depending hopefully they don't flex it I don't think they will because the Cowboys in Sunday Night Football is it, it's it helps us out with our schedule honestly uh, but if the Cowboys go three and zero or two and one, does that change your mindset of where you're at with this team, or do you think that they need to win all three games? Like again, they're they're on the stretch of playing at home twice with the Colts and Texans, and then go on the road at Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville is the hardest of the three teams. But Jess, I'll start with you um, before we go to Chris. Like, what's your feeling on these next three games for Dallas, and what it will tell you for the rest of the season? I mean, I think you need wins at this point. I think you don't really have that cushion with the Eagles still playing as well as they are to afford a loss because now you're in the mathematics part of the season where you have to start factoring in wins and losses and how that's going to impact playoff chances. And, you know, then you do get things like home field advantage or that first round by or whatever. So I think you can't afford to lose can you if you absolutely do it's not the end of the world that's not going to ruin the cowboys chances but what i don't want to see is i don't want to see this team that started on this up and up throughout these last three weeks uh, and after that packers loss who learned their lessons who fixed what they needed to fix who uh you know went in and said hey there was a lot of miscommunication let's let's tidy that up who has made this onward progress and who has set the groundwork for a Dak Prescott ran offense to digress to a team that they shouldn't, that on paper, it's an absolute win. And so I think that was the most frustrating thing about the Giants game was in no way should they have been trailing the Giants at the half at any point. And 
So what I want to see these next, you know, three games is I want to see quick starts. I want to see the Cowboys putting points on the board, on the board early. I don't want any more three and outs at the start of the first quarter. That is absolutely atrocious. Um, I want to continue seeing third down efficiency. I think that's been a big point of emphasis that is on the upward and, and onward. However, could use a little work still. So I want to see that. But really, these next three weeks, I just want to see this base being completely laid. And I want to see what this Cowboys team looks December football form. Because, yeah, it, it is going to fly by. This These next six weeks are going to fly by. And then it's playoffs. And then you have your answer. If this team is really capable of taking you deep in the playoffs or not. And do I think they are? Yeah. But do I, did I also think they'd be trailing the Giants at the half for Thanksgiving game? No. So I want more, um, I want less unpredictable Dallas Cowboys. I want more threats and um, I, I want them to be a very stable and sturdy team going into December. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I think it's really important that the team handles business over this stretch. I think it's really important for not only the momentum of the team heading forward and and being able to compete in the playoffs. But it's also just really important too. If you want any chance to still be the NFC East winner, you can't drop any of these games. The Eagles are certainly handling their own right now. Colts didn't help us out. We thought that they could have won that game. And I think that the Eagles could have very easily lost a couple other games along the way. However, they won. So the Cowboys have to have to win pretty much every game the rest of the season and and get some help from at least one other team to win the NFC East and it could be a huge difference. I mean, I think that think that we underestimate how big of a difference it could be for Dak Prescott's play. I think he kind of doesn't play the same you know, like, like him going up to Philadelphia in December or in January, I think would be a lot tougher for him than it would be playing at home at AT&T Stadium in the warm, in his home crowd. So I think it's a big deal to win it. You know, I think it's a huge deal to win all these games in December. And I think it's really important, too, to just set the foundation for what you're going to have in the playoffs. Are you going to be the team that 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 uh, has a lot of penalties throughout the game? Are you going to be the team that comes off to slow starts? Are you going to be the team that plays down to their competition by having competitive games with a poor division or you're going to step up and be that Super Bowl contender and dominate them the way you should, the way that a real Super Bowl contender should. So I think it's huge that that this team handles business over the next few weeks and doesn't have any disappointments along the way. December tends to be a big month for quarterbacks. Uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, we saw in 2014 Tony Romo go on this magical run where he just was throwing his hat into the ring for MVP conversation, went undefeated in December, looked elite, and carried the Cowboys to a playoff win, the first of the Jason Garrett era. He was the reason why Jess and I became fans of the Cowboys. Chris, before we close out, I'll ask you, who was your favorite player growing up and what got you into being a Cowboys fan? Yes, my favorite player growing up was definitely Des Bryant. I loved his I loved his aggressiveness. I loved his mentality. I loved seeing the X thrown up after every touchdown. I loved he really led me to just loving loving Dallas Cowboys football. I became a Cowboys fan actually because my dad, I feel like that's such a basic answer. I feel like I feel like so many people. But my dad actually came over to America as a foreign exchange student. He, he was born in Sweden, and he came over in the 80s, and he just became a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't know why, because the 80s Cowboys wasn't really a great time to hop on that bandwagon. But, I mean, at least I can say he didn't just hop on during the 1990s 
dynasty and he became a bandwagon and and the root of my fandom is based off of bandwagonism so so i'm glad i'm glad that that's not the case but i've stuck with them ever since i was a kid i've seen all the tony romo heartbreaks all the heartbreaks along the way all the triumphs still haven't gotten to see a super bowl but i really am hoping that it's this season and i'm hoping if not then hopefully really soon because we have too many talented players to not have a super bowl and we've had too many talented players since i've been a fan to not have a super bowl so yeah, it all starts with my dad, and I have to credit him for raising me right, not raising me to be an Eagles fan or anything atrocious like that. So, so I'm very happy for that. Shout out to Chris's dad for not raising an <laughs> Eagles fan, 100%. Your dad deserves all the credit for that in itself. <laughs> Thank you. So, hey, you know what, Chris? We appreciate you coming on this podcast so, so much. Where can the people find you? Where, uh, where, what platforms? What is the at? I mean, give us all the lowdown on that. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, so you can follow me on my Instagram. That's 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 my biggest engagement area, um, at Dallas Cowboys Squad. And you can go on Twitter and you can search up Cowboys underscore squad. And that is my handle on there. And if you want to see any of my personal life, you can follow Chris Halling underscore on Instagram as well. That's my personal account. Got to shout out, you know, you know, like my personal account as well. So I can't wait to, to do more engagement with the Cowboys community. I appreciate you guys so much for having me on the writer's block. It's, it was an awesome experience. It was a great show. And, and like, hopefully I can, you know, do some more stuff with you guys in the future. And, 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 and I, like I said, I would love to have either of you on, on my Instagram live on my page. If you'd like one day we can, you know, like talk in front of all of my followers and, you know, I can bring you guys to my platform so that we can, you know, just all help each other out. I think it's a great community that you guys have at Blogging the Boys and I'm so excited to join it. Can't wait to start writing some articles, maybe, you know, maybe holding my own on the round table. I don't know. I've, you know, you, you know, I've shot that to RJ and RJ's seem to entertain it a little bit. So I don't know. I would love to do some more things with Blogging the Boys in the near future. So. Awesome. Yeah, definitely 100%. We're going to have you back on here. And, and again, we always love giving credit to the up and comers. Uh, our age gap is a little spread out, but that's totally okay. But you know what? The the future, like we talked about, is in the hands of the, the youth of America. And you're certainly a part of that with Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know who has all the takes of Jonas Brothers and Taylor Swift? That's Jess Navarro's Jess, where can people follow you uh, on Twitter and get the top 10 list that I will certainly not be criticizing uh, when mine comes out? sometime this week oh no you never criticize me for anything are you no. kidding me <laughs> ever ever never ever ever ah ha, ha. <laughs> taylor swift okay anyways um yeah y'all can follow me on twitter at jess navarra's underscore make sure to go there i tweet a lot of good cowboys content as well as food taylor swift really whatever i'm feeling that day so and maybe occasionally pictures of my dogs so there's all the good stuff brandon where can the people find you and and give you all of the flack for not being a pumpkin pie fan and playing Christmas music in July? I mean, where can they find you to give you all of the glory for those wrong answers? A hundred percent. They could find me at at Brandon is right. And that's uh, W-R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. Like my takes on the Cowboys Christmas Corral. 
and my takes on pumpkin pie, anti-pumpkin pie, and um, also to the Christmas music. We listen, we're a community of people that like to listen to Christmas and make it 365 days a year. If I could live in a Hallmark movie, I would definitely do that. Um, thanks again to Jess and Chris uh, for making a special episode of the Writer's Block, a holiday edition. We will talk to you guys next week after the Cowboys take on the Jeff Saturday Colts on Sunday Night Football. Until then, we will talk to you soon. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.